So who knows which book of the Bible we're preaching through at the minute? Good, you're paying attention. Acts. We've been in Acts since the beginning of the year, and then we had that break, didn't we, for Easter and uh, things like Marathon and Sean Green coming. So eight, what seems like ages ago I was up here preaching from Acts chapter 4. Well, interestingly, we're still in Acts chapter 4 because we had that long break. But actually, the, um, the passage I was given was Acts 5, 1 to 11, but chapters in the Bible are often not that helpful. So when the Bible was written, it didn't have any chapters or verses. Just people wrote things down. And then when, when the Bible was put together, as we have it now, we put chapters and verses in to make it easy to say, oh, go to the second letter to the Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9. You know, then we know what we're looking for rather than just go, oh, you know that bit where Paul says, where is it? So chapters and verses are useful, but sometimes they're put in funny places. And so chapter 5 is right in the middle of a story. So I've gone back a bit to uh, chapter 4, verse 36. So just a quick recap. We've been looking at Acts. If you've missed any, a number of them are online on our website. You can catch up. Particularly recommend you catch up with last week if you missed it when Chris spoke from chapter 4. And what we've been looking at is that in the story of Acts, the early church, it's the new church is, uh, has come to life, really. Jesus has, the resurrected Christ has ascended. His followers have seen him go seemingly up into the sky. He's gone back to his father and he said, don't worry, I'm going, but I'm going to send my spirit and he is going to change everything. And so they've waited, they've received the spirit and he has indeed changed everything. So we've seen this new community, haven't we, of believers forming in Jerusalem, and we've had a little bit of insight into what they're like and what they're doing. Things like they're devoted to prayer. They're devoted to the breaking of bread that we've just done together this morning. They're devoted to the teaching that they've been given by the apostles. That's maybe harder sometimes. Things seem to be going really well, don't they? It's a good story so far. There has been some opposition. There's been some threats. Particularly Peter's been in a couple of sticky situations. And John threatened with their lives, really. And they're just, but they're just cracking on, preaching the gospel. They're seeing many people saved. And the church is on the move. It's a very dynamic, exciting story. That's what's happened so far. Uh, and then we get to this little episode that Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, tells us about. I'm going to read it. Can you see that? Is that a bit small? Don't worry, because I'm going to read it. And you've all got Bibles with you anyway, right? Okay, so then, so this is where we come from. Chapter 4, verse 36 says this. So Joseph, a Levite, who was a native of Cyprus, called by the apostles Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and placed it at the apostles' feet. Now, a man named Ananias, together with Sapphira, his wife, sold a piece of property. He kept back for himself part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge. He brought only part of it and placed it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds from the sale of the land? Before it was sold, did it not belong to you? And when it was sold, was the money not at your disposal? How have you thought up this deed in your heart? You have not lied to people, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he collapsed and died. And great fear gripped all who heard about it, do you think? So the young men came in, they wrapped him up, they carried him out, and they buried him. 
After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, but she didn't know what happened. So she thinks he's still alive, right? Peter said to her, tell me, were the two of you paid this amount for the land? Sapphira said, yes, that much. Peter then told her, why have you agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. At once she collapsed at his feet and died. So when the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And guess what? Great fear gripped the whole church and all who heard about these things. How are you feeling? <laughs> oh, I'd just like to say, I wasn't supposed to preach this week, I was supposed to preach next, but I, I asked for a swap. <laughs> and this is what I got. Be careful. It's fine. We love the scripture. We're going to preach all of it. Just to say, we didn't plan this scripture to come the week before the special offering. <laughs> Honestly, as I said to you, we started Acts at the beginning of the year. We've had a few interruptions for different things going on. We've moved the date of the special offering as well for various reasons. So it really wasn't planned. I don't know if it's good timing or shocking timing. Maybe you tell me at the end. We'll see how we get on. Uh, if we're still alive. Thanks, Pete. Oh, before... Oh, Paul, sorry. That was apparently my husband, not the person sitting behind him. Well, before we get, dig into this scripture, because I know you're desperate to know what I'm going to say about it, I just want to cast our minds back. If you were, Who was here last week? I know it was a bank holiday, and it was a sunny bank holiday, so lots of people weren't, but who was here? So last week, Chris spoke. If you didn't hear it, it is online, and he the passage immediately before this he spoke on. And he talked about Luke, who's writing Acts, giving us these little summaries of what life is like in the early church. And there's one in chapter 4 that we're just going to read that Chris looked at last week. And there's another one in chapter 2. And it sort of gives us an overview of what we might call the culture, the developing culture of the, this young church. And um, we use the word culture quite a lot. It's a bit of an it word in our generation, isn't it? But I looked it up just because definitions are quite helpful, I think. And one definition just said this. Culture is the ideas, customs, and social behavior of a particular people or society. So if you like, it's, um, it's something that defines a group. It's a generic group culture that we were looking at last week. And this is what it said. The group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and no one said that any of his possessions was his own, but everything was held in common. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on them all. For there was no one needy among them, because those who were owners of land or houses were selling them, bringing the proceeds from the sales and placing at the apostles' feet. The proceeds were distributed to each as anyone had need." So there's that lovely overview of a, a culture, a lifestyle that's developing amongst the church. Uh, we saw it in chapter 2, and this is from chapter 4. And Luke is giving us, I've put on that slide, you can see it, it's almost like the camera is panned out, and we see the group culture, the generic description of what life is like. And then slightly less comfortably, Luke zooms in on these people. He's like, well, that's what it's like, but let's, let's just zoom in. Let's just get personal and point out to you about some actual individuals. And I thought about this. I thought that's not very, that doesn't sit very comfortably necessarily with us. We don't tend to do that. Um, maybe that's a culture thing. Um, maybe, 
I don't know what it is, but to actually say, well, hold on a minute, that's a great thing, yes? People are generous, there's communal living. As Chris pointed out last week, it's not communism. It's free will, generous giving that enables people to be looked after. But actually, let's get personal, Luke says. There's this guy, and he not only tells us his name, Joseph, he tells us his tribe, he's a Levite. Oh, he's from Cyprus, we know where he's from. And he even tells us his nickname, so there's no doubt who this guy is. You know, He hones right in on this chap, and he says, this guy sold a field, brought money, and placed it at the apostles' feet. This is how this thing's working. Individuals are doing these things to enable this general culture. So he zooms right in and he shines a light on this guy. And then, of course, he zooms in and shines a light on some others. Ananias and Sapphira get the spotlight slightly, again, even less comfortably. And the reason he does that is because we're meant to see the contrast. We're meant to make a contrast. That's why I didn't start at the beginning of chapter five, because Joseph's bit is in chapter four, but they clearly go together. Joseph, who's called Barnabas, does this thing. It's just a co- Luke doesn't even comment on it, does he? He just says, this is what happened. And then we see Ananias and Sapphira, and we think, oh, they've done the same. Generous, sold property, brought a lot of money to bless the church. But we're meant to see the contrast. And the contrast is not in the amount of money, is it? Because we don't even know how much money it was. The contrast is not in the gift that we're meant to see. The contrast we're meant to see is in the heart. And I don't know about you, but it makes me very, very uncomfortable, this scripture. Because we're, we're, we're meant to look at these guys. Luke says, look, look at them, look into their lives and see what's going on in their hearts. It's not about the amount of money. You'll be glad to know that, right? <laughs> Special offering coming up. Catalyst wants to raise 300000 at their festival. We don't have a target here for what we want to raise. We just want to encourage people in their hearts to be right. We're going to get to that. So it's not about the amount of money. And this got me thinking about attitudes towards wealth in general because I guess uh, the country you're from the society and the age you live in all have big impact on the way you view money and wealth, right? Um, I suspect, actually, our individual families as well and how our families treat money and things has a big impact on us. For me, I think I'm aware of those things, and as I've been thinking about this, I thought, oh, the, the effect that those things have on my attitude to money are probably just... They're, that's, they're too much, they're too big. The influence on my attitude to wealth probably comes a lot from my culture and a lot from my family, where I come from. And I want it to have a lot more to do with Jesus. One of the things that um, the Apostle Paul, later in the Bible, um, says about money, some of, this is very familiar to some of you, but listen. He says this in a letter he writes to Timothy, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. That sounds bad. Being pierced with many griefs is not something you want. And yet, Paul says, it, actually, money has drawn people away from faith. And one commentator on Acts says this, 
So he's talking about the, the book that we're studying, Acts of the Apostles. He says, if money has so much power to lead us astray, then we should be teaching and preaching much about the dangers of wealth. And another comment you could make, might be slightly controversial for some people, is that if you did a poll of evangelical churches in the world on their preaching on money, I think you'll find it's a lot more about chasing wealth and prosperity, expecting wealth and prosperity from God, than it is about the dangers of wealth and prosperity, actually. I think that's not very helpful to us. So the wealth, however, despite what this guy Achith Fernando says, I think I pronounced that right, is that there's danger in wealth. And yet, I don't think it's the wealth that's dangerous. So Barnabas had a field. He's got property. He's not a poor man, it would seem. Might be a bit poorer by the time he sold it and given all the money away. But it's not the wealth that's the danger, is it? It's, it's what it can do to our hearts that's the danger. And this goes for not just money, of course, but all sorts of other, um, all sorts of other things that we have affection for in our lives, all sorts of other things that would tug at our commitment, at our affections, and sometimes draw us away from putting God first. See, I can't tell you, actually, although I'd like to, I can't really tell you why Ananias and Sapphira received such drastic judgment from God, for that's what seems to have happened. Because we're not told. We're not told why this happened. And it may be that God knew that Ananias and Sapphira's effect on the church was going to be rotten. Maybe there was more to come. He knew he needed to take them out. Uh, We don't know that, and I'm not going to try and tell you because I don't know. But I do believe that the reason Luke puts uh, this contrast in here is to show us the hearts of different people and to make us stop and ask ourselves some questions. Chris even said last week, uh, talking about the special offering, he said, I don't really mind on the 20th of May, if we raise 600 pounds or 60,000 pounds. He said, what I really want is for God to do something in our hearts. And I really believe, and as I know as a staff, as we've been talking and praying about the special offering and this last week's sermon and this week's sermon, we really believe that God is saying he wants to do something in our hearts. He wants to get our full attention my friend and yours, Denise Brown, is often talking about God wants our whole heart. I want to give him my whole heart, not just bits of it. And what we find with Ananias and Sapphira, I think, is that not that they held back the money. Peter said, didn't he? He said, it's, it's your field. You don't have to sell it. When you sold it, it was your money. Well, it's, you didn't have to bring it. You're not bringing this under compulsion. It's not communism. And yet, for some reason, they held back on God. They held back. Now, again, I'm guessing. But having seen Barnabas' gift, I think they think they want to get in on the action. Maybe, maybe they see the honor that Barnabas receives, and they think, well, that's great, isn't it? We could do the same. We could be really magnanimous and generous, and, and we would get the same. We would 
we'd feel valued, we'd feel loved, we'd feel important, we would be able to contribute, but let's just, you know, we can make out it's the whole value, it doesn't really matter, it's still a lot of money. And Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, you lied to God. Just so you know, that's, that's never going to work out. You can't do that. Because <laughs> you might fool us, but you won't fool God. It's not possible. God knows everything. And of course, the lesson of this story, I believe, is that God sees the heart. And that's what he's interested in. That's what he's interested in. Thinking about this um, light that Luke shines on Barnabas first and then Ananias and Sapphira, it got me thinking about some other contrasts that the Bible invites us to make when it puts people next to each other and just says, look at this. And, uh, and one of those that came to me was the story of two guys called Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel were the sons of Adam and Eve. Okay, and in, right back at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 4, we read about them. And these guys, they're, so they're brothers, and they both bring an offering to God. So a bit like what we've just read in Acts. They both bring an offering, and Cain is an arable farmer, so he brings a grain offering, and Abel's a livestock farmer, so he brings lambs. I think it's lambs. Um, and offers them to God. And what we're told is that God receives Abel's offering, but he's not pleased with Cain's offering. And Cain is really miffed about that. Um, Ananias and Sapphira didn't get the chance to be miffed, did they? <laughs> um, but he's, he's cross. It's like, God has received my brother's offering, but he's rejected mine. And again, it's not that explicit in the text as to why that is. But we know why it is, because listen to what God says to Cain. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your expression downcast? Is it not true that if you do what is right, you will be fine? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to dominate you, but you must subdue it. Cain's heart was not in the offering. He did it because he needed to do it. Abel, it says, brought the best, the first, and the fattest of the lambs. It seems that Abel's heart was to give to God, to not hold back. And Cain's wasn't. And it looks like sin was not only crouching at the door, it looks like he let it in. Is this what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? Sin was crouching at the door and they opened the door to it. And then another example I thought of is, again, from the Old Testament in 1 Samuel. You know, there's a prophet called Samuel. He's a prophet to Israel, and God tells him he's got to go and anoint a new king over Israel. Saul is no longer the man for the job, and God sends Samuel. And he goes to the house of a guy called Jesse, who has a lot of sons. And uh, the first one comes along, and Samuel immediately thinks, this, this guy looks the part. Eliab, his name is, he definitely looks the part. He's going to be the one. And God says, no, 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 he's not the one. And they bring all these sons out, and none of them are the one. And eventually, the dad remembers, oh, we've got another son, David. He's, but he's busy. We need someone to watch the sheep, right? So he comes in, and he gets anointed king. But 
Again, if you've been to Sunday school or City Hope Kids Club, you'll know this verse. Except it's not coming up. Click it on for me, please, Joel. Is that it? So the Lord said to Samuel, don't be impressed by his appearance or his height, the first son. He looks the part, but he's not the one. He says, I've rejected him. God doesn't view the things the way men do. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Hope you're getting the message. It's very easy for us. I know this very easy for me. To be concerned about what people see. You guys. It's very easy to get tricked, really, into thinking about the way people see us and what people think of us. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not unimportant what people see and what people think of us. I think out there, particularly, and on social media, if I can be so bold, it's important that people see us reflecting Jesus. It is important what people see, but, but I don't want my heart to be drawn away to pleasing men, not God. And that's what this is about, isn't it? It seems that Ananias and Sapphira wanted, they did something amazing. They brought a massive sum of money. You know, They pretended it was the whole amount for the property, so it must have been a lot. It was not ungenerous. If you do that next weekend, hopefully, yeah, um, you know, we're, everyone will be thrilled. So look at the special offering. Hasn't God blessed us because of a generous spirit among us? It's great. They brought a lot of money. But God wasn't interested. Even Peter, who's running a new church with loads of new converts all the time, he wasn't interested in the money. Now that is something. Just stop and think about that. He was interested in what God was saying about the hearts of men and women in his community. That's what he was interested in. That's what the Holy Spirit was leading him to discern in Ananias and Sapphira. And you know, even getting, even doing things like this, you know, I had to repent this morning in my office upstairs of that impulse just to do things well so people think good of me. You know? That's not what God wants. God wants my heart to want to do things well because I want to honor him and because I want to serve him. I want to serve you too, and that comes out of serving him. Because when we are wholehearted and single-minded about giving to him, everyone else benefits. You know, when we are wholehearted about everything we have being to serve the king, everyone around us benefits. We don't have to worry about pleasing people or what people think of us. Yeah, if we're looking to him and if we're honoring him first and foremost, everyone wins. Our families win. Our church community wins. Our neighbors and friends and families out there win. Because when we're, when we're serving him wholeheartedly, when we're fully committed to making much of Jesus in all of our lives, everyone will benefit. People will see the goodness of God in us. You see, when we want to... We want to do things because we want people to look at us and think well of us. We're not really obeying that scripture, that wonderful scripture that says, let people see your goodness so that they 
glorify your Father in heaven. Not so that they glorify you or think you're great. Or even, sometimes it's, sometimes it's good motives. It's like, I want people to think well of Christians. I don't want Christians to have a bad name. And I don't. And I hope you don't either. But ultimately, I want to please and serve the King of Kings. Amen. You know, when I meet him on the judgment day, he's not going to strike me down like he did Ananias and Sapphira because of what we've sung and celebrated this morning. And some of us might read uh, Acts chapter 5 and think, gosh, that's a bit harsh. What? Why, why would God have done that? Well, I can't tell you that. You'll have to ask him yourself. But the thing we've got to remember is the gospel says it's what we all deserve. It's what we all deserve because our hearts aren't pure and we are cut off from God in our sin until we receive that amazing grace that Paul talked about this morning. Until we say, yes, I realize my heart is impure. I realize my sin. I realize my inadequacy. I realize that how can I ever stand before Holy God, the creator God of all heaven and earth. How can I stand? How? Because of what we celebrated this morning in communion. Because Jesus died so I don't have to. So Jesus was broken so that I can be whole. So that even though my heart is not yet pure, I can stand before God because of Jesus. Because he died. He's risen. He's at the right hand of the Father right now. He's my saviour. He's the one who stands in the, in the gap for me. He's the one who means that I can stand before a holy God and I deserve, like Ananias and Sapphira, to be struck down because God is holy and I am far from that. We deserve what they got and we don't get it. We don't get it. Instead, we get grace, we get freedom and I'll tell you what we get and we're going to do this in a minute. We get the opportunity to say... God, I want my whole heart to be for you. Forgive me my sin. Forgive me my divided heart. Forgive me those bits that are not yet right. God, I want to have a a clean heart before you. I want to be wholehearted. And I wonder if Ananias and Sapphira, you know, I thought about what should their response have been to Barnabas. I think they should have just said, oh God, I want to be like him. I want that heart that just wants... It wants to bless others and it wants to give everything to you. I don't want fame and honor. I don't want accolades. It's not about that. I want to serve you, Lord, and I want to bless others out of that. If they could have just got on their knees and said, oh, God, change my heart, will you? Maybe they never sold the property. Who knows? We don't know. What ifs? But I know he wants our whole hearts. He wants wholehearted, single-minded, abandon and obedience. And that involves our money. You know, Sean Green spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. If you haven't heard that, it's online. Do listen. He talked about um, being followers of Jesus who actually follow him, who actually put our mouths or our money where our mouths is. We walk the walk. We do it. We do what we say we'll do, which is to surrender. That's what being a Christian means, right? Surrender to him. And you, you have to keep doing that, by the way. You have to keep doing it. Every time you're like, oh, yeah, I've done that. My heart is, is sinful. You keep surrendering. And uh, the final slide, of course, because I couldn't really ignore this. I sort of thought about it. Is what it says at the end of the passage we read. Great fear. Great fear. 
gripped the whole church and all who heard about these things. Not surprising. Gosh, I, try, I even spent quite a lot of energy in the last couple of weeks trying to imagine a similar scenario here in our community. And I just thought, nah, I can't do it. You can't imagine what it must have been like for them, this episode. You can understand why Luke puts it in the story, right? If you, had a, if you were planting a church and this happened, it's a pretty big part of the story, isn't it? Uh, but you can't really imagine what it was like. Great fear gripped the church. And my comment really is just that there's nothing wrong with fear of God. A right, fearful reverence for God who could and should judge us all in an instant. He hasn't and he won't because of Jesus. Because the gospel says, I'm a sinner who needs grace and along comes Jesus with all the grace that I need. So fear doesn't mean we crouch uh, afraid as under a despot or a tyrant. It means we recognize the holiness and the greatness and the supremacy of our God. And we wonder that he would accept us and extend such love and grace to us. And we say to him in response over and over again, God, I want you to have everything. Do you know, the Bible says it all comes from him in the first place, doesn't it? I, say, I pray with my, one of my kids at night, and I often quote this, it says, every good gift comes from the Father of light. Everything good comes from him anyway. So how are you going to keep it back? We want our hearts to be unfettered by affection for other things. Can I just say, um, I, like, I like nice things. I like a holiday. Um, I'm a, some of you know I'm a bit of a wine buff. I like good wine. Um, they're all good things, and they're all good gifts from my father's hand as well. When Sean stood up here a couple of weeks ago and said, you know, everything I have, we bring it as tribute, and we place it at the feet of the king, because he's the king of kings. You better bring it all. He's not, he didn't go back to Reading and sell his house or his car. It's not always about getting rid of everything, although God may well ask you to do that. It's about our hearts being free to say, yeah, God, whatever you tell me, I could do it. Whatever you want. It's about the, it's about the offering. It's about having people around. It's about generosity. It's about praying for people. In every area of life, it's about having a, a heart which is open and free to serve God in every way. Is that okay? Do you, do you get what I'm driving at? Okay. Do you know, I was struck, Paul Medhurst, just Paul's going to come up, we're going to sing a song. I was struck by that song, song we sung this morning. Uh, your blood and my acceptance. They go together, don't they? Jesus poured out his blood in order that I might be accepted with this heart which is not yet there. But you know, as well as knowing that we're not good enough and it's not about what you give, it's never about buying your way into God's kingdom. At the same time, by his spirit, he does change us, doesn't he? So my heart is little by little getting more and more and more devoted to him. As he challenges me, as we challenge one another, as by his spirit he speaks to us, we want our hearts to get more and more conformed to his image, don't we? Yes. 
I want to be more wholehearted and single-minded about serving him. I know you do too. We're just going to sing. Paul's just going to play this song. Can we start with the chorus? Okay, why don't you stand? Okay, I'm going to pray. Why don't we pray together? I know you are dealing with God in your hearts right now. I'm just going to pray and then we're going to break. But if you would like to come and be prayed for further, do please come forward. If you would like to come and confess to somebody things you know in your life are not right, then please do that today. Don't leave it if that's what God is saying to you right now. There are hearts that are being touched and God is drawing you to say, you need to come and put this right. Do that today. Don't leave it. Father God, I thank you so much that we stand before you today clean, forgiven, pure of heart because of Jesus. I thank you, my Father, that it was your good pleasure to extend such grace to me, to extend such mercy to us. Thank you that it costs so much. The Son of God himself strung up on a tree. Death and sin couldn't hold him. He's alive today. He's alive forever. He's our saviour. He's our beloved king. He's the one we serve. He's the one we love. He's the one who pours into our hearts day by day his love and grace. Thank you that we experience grace upon grace upon grace every day. Thank you, Lord, that your resources for us never run dry. But Lord, we pray as well. Don't leave us as we are. Lord, we want our hearts to be fully given to you. Lord, we want our hearts to be open and pure to you. Lord, I don't want anything to be hidden in my heart that offends you. I don't want anything to be kept back. Lord, I want to give you everything. I want my whole heart to be for you. I want you to know, my Lord, that anything you ask of me, I can do. Because everything is yours anyway. Lord, that's our heart's cry. We want to be devoted to our King. We want to bring tribute. Lord, everything we have comes from you, Lord. And we want to bring it and lay it at your feet. And say, God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We bring it all. Lord, thank you that you do us good. Thank you. It's always good. It's always good. You never let us down. It's safe to give you our hearts, Lord. It's safe to give you our whole hearts because although you might make us uncomfortable at times you will never forsake us you will never forsake us and we know that one day our hearts will be fully pure and fully turned to you as for all eternity we enjoy your favour for all eternity we're going to enjoy praising you and loving you with hearts that are totally devoted Lord do it in us now as well We want here and now to be changed, Lord. Amen.